millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Last week we heard part one of my conversation with a couple who shared the gospel in China up until 2020. For their security, we're just calling them Richard and Jeanette. We recorded this interview on the road, so the sound quality isn't as good as you're probably used to when we're here in the studio, but their story is so powerful. Last week, as we left off, Richard was telling us about the day in 2020 when the Chinese National Police arrived at their apartment door. Open the door, boom, 25 police come bust, they come raiding in and cameras, their video and everything, trying to see when these, when this level of crew walks in your door, it's over. And um, so, so basically at that point, we're, we're leaving China. Yeah. (laughs) As we begin part two this week, Jeanette recalls her experience of that day. Yeah, I was out with my daughter, and I walk in, I turn around and hang my keys up, and all of a sudden three um, police people, because one of them was a woman, meet me at the door in uniform and tell me to go put my phone on the table. And so I'm walking into our apartment, and I see, yeah, over 25 police like just doing different things in our house. Some of them were recording, some of them were sitting around Richard. Some of them were down the hallway looking in just all of our stuff in our in our house. And I mean, honestly, my first thought was the Lord is sovereign and the Lord is good. And these two things are not contradictory. So no matter what's going to happen over the next however many hours, days or weeks, like he's still trustworthy and he hasn't changed. We had been memorizing Philippians 4, 6, and 7 as a family, and so those verses just kept coming back up in our thoughts, um, or at least in my thoughts, you know, of just do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Within your house, like, were they, like, pulling books off the shelves? They're, like, everything in your house is being searched. Yeah, yeah, they were opening all kinds of things, looking in to see, do we have, you know, uh, confiscated books or other (laughs) curriculum? I did, by the way. The funny thing is, is, like, I have all these theological books and commentaries, okay? Like, that didn't matter. And then I even, if it just looked like it was official, they left it alone. But if it looked like it had been printed at a shop, that's what I got in trouble for. Interesting. Yeah, so like I had a like a book that we printed out that had nothing to do with in English. And then I had to sign like it was illegal contraband. They took my Bible. It was a Chinese-English Bible. I, I just had two. and then But they didn't take my Pinyin Bible because I don't think they knew what it was. So, Richard, they take you to the police station. I'm... I'd love for you to share about the police station because this is something that is just mind-boggling to me. So So the police station was a hotel that has rooms above it. But when you drive through, you could park inside, and that's just kind of how a lot of buildings are set up. And then the first floor was the... um, the National Police Investigation, like their office. No signage. No, no signage. I mean, if you 
drove by on the street. You'd have no clue. It's a hotel. You walk in, you make a, to the left is the bathrooms. To the right, it contains four cubicles and each cubicle hosts two people. And the chief sits back in the far left corner. He would sit there and he was very old and never interacted with him. Second room was an interrogation room. It was more like a table with four, three chairs. Third room was a room with a bed you could go and sleep in. Fourth room on the left was the soundproof interrogation room, and that's where I went. And it was a room that's more long. At one end is a big wooden chair that lock you in, and then above it is uh, a clock. It was soundproof and mic'd up, and then the police would sit at the other end. Go past that one more. On the left, they always kept that door shut, so I don't know what was in there, but then you go to the end of the hall, there was another room with a bathroom, and that's where I used the bathroom. And um, so, but you'd never know on the outside. You go inside, and there's this whole elaborate interrogation spot that they've uh, set up. So, And their questions was about your work and was about people you knew? That, that was kind of what yeah. they focused on? or Yeah, I mean, they wanted mainly, who am I? Who do I work for? And who are the foreigners that I know? They wanted to know other foreigners. So China in 2020, there's a lot of... It's very much like 1940s Germany or, you know, Russia. A lot of people that are, we're trying to move up in the ranks. And so we're going to, we're going to turn in people to move up. These are the betrayers. These are the people. So this is a very cold time of people are trying to work their way up the ladder. And nationally, there was another it was turned over to them, and then they had been following me. And so, um, this is the national police. They're taking their orders from Beijing. This is yes. not a provincial thing. This is coming from yes. the highest levels. Yes. They do not necessarily coordinate with local police. So, yeah. So, Jeanette, you experienced God's reminding you of this Bible verse. You're experiencing this sense that God's still in this, He's still in charge. Richard, you're in the police station and you're in an interrogation room. How did you experience God's presence or God's sovereignty in the midst of that? I'm going in there. I'm just like, all right, Father, I don't know what this is or what to do, but you'll give me peace. So just, I just kept asking wisdom. I need wisdom. I was just nervous wreck whenever going in. I, I tried to like look calm, but inside I was losing it. But the Holy Spirit, every time I got in that chair... Just calm as can be. My heart rate slowed down. My breathing slowed down. And I was able to clearly answer every question as I needed and saw fit. And so you get the Lord's kindness in that. And then in the, you know, through Did the... Did you recognize in the, in the moment that oh, that yeah. was like... Yeah. Like, I can't believe this. I, yeah. I'm really calm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because I could sit down and be like, all right, the Lord is with me. And then I just start answering. And then, you know, it's like uh, the first night they kept me over. I mean, you just... Laying there and you're reminded of Exodus, end of Exodus 2 that the, uh, the Lord was with Israel when they were in their slavery and he remembered his covenant and he knew his people. And yeah, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I just pray that over and over because we had been memorizing that in our family worship. And, uh, you know, Psalm 56, um, just here and there, like different texts the Lord brought to mind to pray and ask for help, ask for wisdom. Lord, I don't know. Uh, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I think a lot of times, like in our when we're in our anxiety and fear, we kind of want, we feel like we should say these kind of almost mantras, and then they should go away. But in a lot of ways, the Lord doesn't allow that. It's He's cultivating trust in our hearts, and 
think it's what he's doing in mind is during that point is saying like, oh, do you really trust me? Just, all right, let's mm-hmm. continue to go in prayer. We're going to be the persistent widow in this moment. So that first night they kept you. Yeah. Did you think they're like, I'm in jail. I'm, I'm not going home. Or did, uh, did they say, we're just going to keep you tonight and then tomorrow we'll talk more? Or? They don't give answers. <laughs> they, we ask questions. Yeah. So what ends up happening is they, we're going to keep you until we get what we want. So they just kept saying, like, you will stay here in this room until we get what we want, period. I knew it'd probably be at least 72 hours. These guys are professionals. They know what they're doing. This is their job. They are, you know, they, they are the pro- professional FBI of your country. And so <laughs> you're not on their radar for no reason. And, and that just became apparently obvious and blatant uh, early on. And so it's either A, you can cooperate to an extent, figure out what they know, disinformation, figure out and, and move on, or B, you can just like antagonize. But antagonism just, uh, I mean, I held out and was antagonistic towards them for about seven hours, but it just, it just made things much, much worse. They would just smoke in this little room just incessantly and you couldn't even breathe. You can't breathe, so you have no energy. You can't think clearly. And it's all part of it. And then they would threaten you, threaten to... We're, we're going to tie you up. We're going to put you on stools. We're going to bring your wife down here and interrogate her. I mean, just threats after threat after threat. But for me personally, it was like, do what you want to me. But I, I don't want to find out if these threats are legitimate towards my wife or my children. And so in that moment, I was like, you kind of have to just assess. My job right now, according to the Bible, is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. So don't deny Christ. Number two, I need to protect my wife. And then number three, I need to protect my kids. And number four, protect the, my local friends. So that's just kind of how I assess things and, yeah, move forward. It's fascinating to me, though, that they didn't ask a lot of questions about your local Chinese friends. They asked mostly about foreigners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in part, so on one level, they know. And they've been tracking. They track them. They know. They know. I mean, and they can... They've, they've watched them for a lot longer, and they can always pull up the Trump charge of, like, you associated with this foreigner later. So they're, I think they're going to want to watch them and say, who else is this person connected to? How long did it take before you realized how long they had been watching you? Oh, they told me, uh, like, the first day. They've been watching me for five years. I wasn't cooperating, and he was just like, they were just throwing things at me, and he's like, you know, we've been watching you five years. We know who you associate with. We know who you are. Like, we're not... You're not fooling us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we weren't, so. Was that sobering to you, like, as you're sitting there? Or you just always assumed you were watched anyway, so. Yeah. Like, I expected that, so, At some point, they showed, kind of showed their cards. Like, they had a ton of information about your contacts, about your organization. Did that knock you off kilter at all how much they already knew or again did you just kind of assume they I assumed yeah I just I came in and was like I mean in a sense I was I wasn't surprised but I guess I just didn't realize like the depth I guess I was more surprised they hadn't acted before that moment to be honest with you and if they knew all this yeah how are we still here like why am I in this room I'm like the least important person you know but uh I mean if this is reality and then uh but, you know, like, I wasn't surprised. In a sense, I was. In a sense, I wasn't. Uh, but I think at that point, you're just like, okay, like, you know all this. What are you going to do about it? This is true. 
and you're saying this is true, what are we going to do about it? And then it becomes a negotiation. One of the things that was interesting to me is immediately they told you, don't tell anybody, both of you. In fact, I, they made you sign something, right? Okay, we won't, we won't tell anybody. How hard was that to not be able to, you know, call prayer warriors, call your families, call your church? Because I know you wanted, I mean, you didn't want to make things worse, so you don't want to violate the, the first thing you signed for them. So talk about that and how even after you signed the document, God has, was already raising up prayer warriors and raising up people around you. Part of it was easy because we had no devices to call oh, anyone that's with. True. <laughs> so even if I had wanted to, you know, that was physically impossible. Because they took your phone, your right. com- all your Computer, electronic devices, all of our they, electronic they devices. Walked out the door yeah. Right. In fact, I had to sign for them to be able to take them away. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I knew that if I attempted to, let's just say, call my mom, you know, I have her phone number. <laughs> memorized like that would not have been a wise thing on my part. I didn't want to put Richard in any more jeopardy than he was already in. Um, but I knew at the same time, like protocol with our, within our organization, I needed to try to call our risk manager. And so, and uh, the other thing about this is you've just had 25 Chinese police in your apartment. Right. So the assumption is that they're listening to yes, everything I, that happens in the apartment. Right. I assumed they had bugged our apartment. I assumed that they probably had someone in plain clothes, more than likely like downstairs or at least assigned a neighbor, you know, to, to follow up on every movement on top of there are security cameras everywhere in our complex. They could have easily just watched from afar. So yeah, at that point, I'm just asking the Lord for wisdom of how do I go about trying to let someone know what has happened? I waited a few minutes, waited about 20 minutes after the police left our, our house um, to, to move because I just wasn't sure what was going outside, going on outside the door. And I took our son with us and I um, was just asking again for wisdom from the Lord of what to do. And I didn't want to venture out too far because I wasn't sure if the police would return and walked um, out of our complex and was just looking for a shop that didn't have a lot of security cameras um, within sight that I could see if I could borrow their phone to make a phone call. And I found one, um, but at first it didn't work because I knew the number that I was trying to dial was outside of China. And um, so I wound up just asking the clerk there, he was about an 18 year old boy, could I borrow his cell phone and download Skype and make an international call with my own account? Because that's where I had the number stored to be able to make the phone call. And finally, after several times of trying to get through, I was able to, to make a phone call and let our risk manager know what had happened and to please um, secure our devices. That night, I'm, I'm fully expecting Richard to be gone for at least 72 hours. I mean, before even before the police had left my house, like they asked me to pack clothes for him. So I'm just praying and um, actually shredding more documents that have been left behind because I'm like, if they come back, I don't want this to be added on to our already looming, you know, reasons of why we're, why we're in this situation. And about 1030 that night, uh, my doorbell rings. And so I assumed it was either Richard coming back or 
that um, it was the police showing up again to then come and and haul me in for questioning. Now, you have children. Yes. Were you panicky about, like, if they do take you in too, like, who's going to watch the kids? Or you had a plan in place for that? Or how? I had no way to contact anyone to to make a plan. So I'm just praying that the Lord would provide whatever was needed. I mean... I assumed that if they did take me in, that they weren't going to leave our kids right. by themselves. Right. That they probably would have posted a policeman um, or two, you know, there until they brought me back. But yeah, there was no way to make any plans like that, and so. So you um, get a knock on the, the doorbell rings. Yes, the doorbell rings, and I'm not sure who it is, and we're able to see through like a video camera down below who it was, and it was the local pastor. And so I let him up, um, and he just stops and asks me, um, is everything okay? Uh, your husband's not answering his phone. My wife's been trying to call you all day, and, like, what's going on? And I had just signed, you know, a non-disclosure saying that I, I wouldn't say what had happened. And so, again, I'm asking the Lord for wisdom. What, what do I tell him? And um, I just said, Richard's not here. And this pastor is a, an ex-cop. He became a believer as um, an adult. And he just immediately knew from the tone of my voice and the way that I had said that, um, what had happened. And he just hit the ground right there in our little foyer, praying for my husband, just that the Lord would sustain his faith, um, that he would have wisdom to know what to say, and that he would eventually be released in the Lord's timing. And then his next question was, what can I do? How can I help you? You know, and so he um, allowed me to borrow his phone again, which was secure to contact our risk manager again, because the previous phone call, I wasn't even sure if I had truly gotten a hold of him um, because the connection was just really off. And um, it was. And so, yeah, from that point on, the local pastor either came himself or sent different ladies from their church to come and check on the kids and I and just to physically be there with us and pray for us and bring us fruit and food and anything that we needed just were a real comfort to the kids and I during that time of keeping some normalcy in their routine and schedule. How much did that mean to you to have a sort of a physical manifestation of the body of Christ coming, knocking on the door, praying with you, bringing food. How talk a little bit about how important that was. That was huge because it was just a reminder of the things that I'd been praying earlier that day that the Lord heard my prayers. Um, I had just been reading through Psalm 40. And at the end of that, it says... As for me, I am poor and needy, in verse 17. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And it was just a reminder of like, the, the Lord revealed himself that he knew exactly what was going on in our situation. Like we weren't alone. Um, we weren't the only ones that were going to know about this situation. Because I knew as soon as I was able to contact my uh, risk manager for our organization, there would have been a prayer chain started immediately, you know, of may not have been able to say our names, but they at least would have right. let people know of the situation. 
um, I, I knew that, you know, there would have been it, some of a time gap, but eventually, like, they would have contacted our parents and let them know. And, and then, you know, just the local church being aware, too, of the situation and knowing that um, they would be praying for us as well. Like, just a reminder of the Lord's goodness of, you know, you may feel alone in the situation, but you're not. I'm Never with you, alone. you know, and the body of Christ is still around you. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.